Thank you for listening to this Baker Bots podcast. Baker Bots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. For more information on Baker Bots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. This presentation is provided by Baker Bots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney client relationship. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising. Hello, everyone. Michael Loesch here from Washington, D.C. I'm excited to be with you today for another episode of the Energy Enforcement Insider, the podcast that provides quick hits on the latest trends and developments in regulatory compliance and enforcement matters impacting the energy industry. Along with me today, as always, is Brendan Quigley from New York. How's it going, Brendan? Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Excited to jump in today because of our, our big guest. In a minute, we'll be joined by BakerBot's partner, Michael Ward, to learn more about uh, what's new and interesting and you know relevant for compliance purposes in the world of artificial intelligence. Uh, but before we go into that, there have been some other CFTC actions that uh, were recently uh, resolved. Yeah, there have been some further cases in the CFTC record keeping and communications cases that I think are worthy for discussion today. So you, you'll recall that about a, a year ago, the CFTC announced enforcement actions against 11, I think it was around 11 large swap dealers and FCMs, charging them with failure to supervise and record keeping violations in connection with what was alleged to be widespread use of unauthorized communication channels. And as a result, the communications were not maintained or preserved as required. These uh, CFTC off-channel communications and record-keeping cases involve some pretty significant penalties and investigations have continued in other matters. And there have been some additional market participants where cases have been brought. What is interesting is that some of the recent cases don't really involve off-channel communications, but rather vendor failures leading to communications. Mostly these involve phone calls not being reviewed and retained. So I want to talk about two of these cases that were recently announced involving third-party vendor mistakes that have led to record-keeping failures and cases by the CFTC. The first is XP Investments. XP um, XP is a uh, registered introducing broker, which came out earlier in September. The commission brought a settled action against XP for failing to maintain certain uh, audio recordings. XP had moved offices, and during its move, its audio recording system was improperly reinstalled by an external vendor. The system had been tested, but did not immediately uncover any issue. But there was a problem, and as a result, some, but not all, calls were not recorded during a period of, I think it was around 25 days or so. XP did eventually discover the problem and remediated with corrections to the system. So the CFTC ultimately investigated and brought a settled enforcement action against XP for 
record keeping violations. And there was a civil monetary penalty involved of $500,000. A second case involves an action against Goldman. In August of this year, the commission settled a case against Goldman for record keeping violations related to two separate failures to record telephone calls that resulted from third-party vendor hardware and software problems. Goldman had identified the errors and remediated the problems caused by the vendors. Uh, but as with XP, the CFTC investigated and ultimately brought a settled enforcement action for record-keeping violations. This matter also included a violation of a prior commission order from 2019 which also involved a hardware malfunction resulting in the failure to record certain phone lines. Um, ultimately, the case was settled for a penalty of $5.5 So both the XP and the Goldman cases involve what appear to be significant penalty amounts for violations caused by technical malfunctions of third-party vendor systems, which ultimately were identified and remediated by the respective firms. So with respect to vendors, these cases really suggest that the commission is not overly sympathetic to issues resulting from third-party vendors. All market participants you know, rely on outside vendors to some degree, for sure, but uh, regulatory obligations belong to the primary actor and Blaming misconduct on technical issues or the mistakes of outside vendors is not likely to carry much weight with the CFTC. So I think that's really one of the major takeaways from these cases. There may be instances when the CFTC does not pursue record-keeping violations that result from simple inadvertent mistakes, but you can't expect that. You have to expect that if there are errors and they're identified that there's a likelihood that the commission will bring action. Brendan, you have any thoughts on third-party vendors? From a commercial perspective, it's helpful to look at your contracts with these vendors or if you're going to enter into new contracts with communications providers and see what type of indemnity provisions are in there. But that will not absolve you from guilt with the CFTC or the SEC um, for, for record-keeping violations. But if one of these arises, you may be, have some recourse for financial penalties if you find uh, that there has been a failure on the vendor's end. But again, I agree with Michael, though, that the regulators, whether that be the CFTC or the SEC, are going to be looking to their regulated entities in the first instance to comply with their record-keeping obligations and looking at the registrants and the regulated entities to do the due diligence on the vendors. Um, Michael, one question. How, how do you think the CFTC is, is getting these cases? How do you think these cases are coming to the CFTC? It's a range of sources. You know, some of them, uh, I think, are self-reports or uh, examinations. Like the spoofing set of cases, they've identified these record-keeping cases as low-hanging fruit, relatively easy to prove to get to an enforcement action. So, they're moving across the market participant landscape to areas that they, you know, to market participants who they haven't looked at yet. We do understand there have been some sweeps, some requests that have gone out more broadly to certain registered entities seeking information related to off-channel communications. They are, I think, 
looking for uh, both actively and and more passively looking for these types of cases because they've found it to be fruitful. And I, I, I don't think it's run its course quite yet. So I think you still have to be uh, very focused on these issues in the current environment. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind there is that if you receive a subpoena or a document request from an agency, whereas the CFTC, the SEC, or even the DOJ, where the DOJ does not have these record-keeping obligations on registrants, but they are expecting recipients of process or investigative demands to be familiar with these cases and expecting these cases to guide at some level your document collection in responding to that process. 100%. There are just a couple more things on this I think that are worth talking about. In the Goldman case, Commissioner Pham issued a, a pretty strongly worded dissent both to the action and to the penalty in the Goldman matter, pointing out that it was a technical violation and also relating it to the difficulties and the challenges from the switch to remote work due to the pandemic. So that sentiment, I think, was worth noting. Commissioner Johnson also issued a, a statement, I think, pointing in the other direction, asserting that penalties should be calibrated to deter misconduct and repeat offenders and indicating that the $5 million penalty represented a fraction of a percent of the net income for Goldman, sort of indicating that penalties should be more closely correlated to have some deterrent value. I think those are interesting and worth bearing in mind as the CFTC continues to consider cases. We can see that the CFTC is continuing to struggle with how to appropriately penalize misconduct under the CEA. You know, is the penalty too small? Is it too large? Does the penalty fail to take into account self-reporting uh, and remediation, which is often the case? Market participants need to keep in mind and acknowledge that while penalty determinations really are highly variable and there are a range of different views. The general trend is still that penalties are getting bigger and growing over time and attempts to strike that balance between deterrence of misconduct and the recognition of good market behavior and compliance is still a work in process and a balance that's not often uh, or easy to achieve. So what's next? Uh, obviously, record-keeping obligations are key. Their baseline compliance issues and failures can result in real regulatory exposure and fines. So it's not sexy. It does not easily draw the attention of internal management, but sound record-keeping is an important element of good compliance program and key to mitigating regulatory risk. So you got to pay attention to the small stuff like record-keeping and make sure your systems and procedures and policies are in order with respect to that. The CFTC's cases regarding off-channel communications and record-keeping have focused on registered entities. Record-keeping obligations are still important for non-registrants. I think the risk profile is different, but record-keeping failures by non-registrants, they might, may not be a direct and specific violation for record-keeping, but they may lead to or be related to other market conduct issues that could be problematic and, and cause uh, exposure in that way. And you definitely need to take into account the size of the firm. So smaller firms need to tailor systems, policies, and procedures to the size and scope of their business, but still, while still focusing on good record keeping. 
So Brennan, bottom line, focus on uh, good record-keeping practices is important and paying close attention to oversight of outside vendor activity is also key as the CFTC is expected to continue to look for opportunities to investigate those issues. Thanks, Michael. So I'll introduce our guest now. We're working to have with us today is a special guest, Michael Ward. Michael is a partner in the Palo Alto office of Baker Botts. His practice focuses on assisting senior executives and corporate boards by leading responses to critical enforcement challenges, including government and internal investigations. Mike has deep experience, both as a federal prosecutor. He spent 16 years as an assistant U.S. attorney in the Department of Justice in the District of Minnesota. And he also has a unique background as both a former federal prosecutor and a former compliance officer. After leaving the government, he took a position with Target where he helped implement their first corporate compliance program. He then moved to McKesson Corporation, where he was director of ethics and compliance, and then served as chief compliance officer at a number of technology companies in the Silicon Valley, including Adobe Systems, Cisco Systems, and Juniper. And lately, Mike has been looking a lot at the potential compliance impacts of artificial intelligence or AI, and he's going to talk to us uh, about that today. Mike? First, how is AI being implemented into various businesses and what are you seeing right now as a former chief compliance officer? And Mike, before you jump in, great to have you. Really appreciate you joining us today. So what are you seeing right now with AI? Yeah, great time to be in, in Silicon Valley, that's for sure. AI is probably the most disruptive development since the internet. And I'm not prone to, to hyperbole, but it is really dramatic what AI presents to all of us. I would say there's three reasons why AI is so disruptive. First, at a strategic level, it creates a dramatic competitive advantage to just about any business, any industry out there in terms of dramatically reshaping workflows, increasing efficiency, productivity. It will disrupt a number of industries and it will change business models of, of, of great many. And that's why it's so dramatic. It gets so much attention is it's really this, this strategic level shift. There's comprehensive tactical legal risk. You know, the implications for privacy and um, copyright, IP protections, discrimination issues, reputational risk is, is everywhere. It's really profound. In, in fact, I kind of find it amusing that a lot of people write about AI as though it's up for debate as to whether or not it's going to happen. Like, oh, there are all these risks, you know, this can't be worth it. And it's like almost everything you read about the risks from AI are, are true. There's mitigation strategies. They're all true, but it's going to happen anyway. You know, it's going to like that saying, you know, how I learned to relax and get comfortable with the bomb. It's like, this is going to happen. It's going to change all of our lives and we're going to have to deal with the legal risks from it and we may as well get on with it. And then the last part of it that makes it so disruptive, and I laughed when you asked the question, so what's new with AI? The whole notion of what AI is, is changing at such a rapid pace. And there was a point, I think it was earlier this year, February or March, when the pace of change was daily. What was possible, what an LLM could do for someone what would change from day to day. You'll see venture capitalists talking now about 
the amount of money that it takes to start up a company has actually shrunk by 10x, 100x. The amount of the size of the check that they would have to write to fund the coders and software engineers to develop a new product has now shrunk because these tools can take a single software engineer and make them 10, 20 times more productive than they were. The degrees of disruption across you know, everything is really profound and it's, it's not to be underestimated. So if I'm a chief compliance officer out there and I have a million things coming across my desk every day, this sounds very much like AI is kind of a moving target. It sounds like substantive areas in which you could see AI related compliance issues. So what can I be doing to get ahead of the landscape six months, 12 months, 18 months from now? Well, the bad news, Brendan, is it's hard to imagine what things are going to be happening 18 months from now. So I think it's impossible for somebody to aspire to get ahead of the curve. You could get ahead of the curve relative to what your, your inclinations might be otherwise. The reason I say that is, as you mentioned, I was the chief compliance officer for a lot of companies, a lot of industries for the years, and there are risk areas where you would say, that's not defined enough yet for me to just by me investing some of my limited resources and trying to develop controls and operationalize how I'm going to handle that, right? You kind of just have to say, I have to wait until that settles down. Unfortunately, that play of kind of wait and see is definitely not the play here. And so you can get ahead of yourself relative to that tactic by immersing yourself in the use cases for your particular business, creating a governance process that engages all of the different risk owners as well as the business. And this is an area where a lot of times the companies will have a corporate compliance committee made up of the key gatekeeper functions in the company. And that's a really good process to get everybody on the same page and communicating with one another. But it often excludes the business. And that is a, a voice that's really needed on these AI issues because we gatekeepers often don't have the vision of that productivity leap or those changes to the business model that can result from some of these AI adoptions. And so our instinct may be to say, oh, there's a lot of legal risk. As I described, there are, you know, you just came up with a really good list. There's a lot of legal risks. They're all real. And ordinarily you look at that and say, we're not going to do that. There's too much risk or it would be a, a, a big lift. And in this space, I think companies need to reconsider their risk appetite because the more profound risk is not that you may have a copyright infringement claim or, or privacy, you know, investigation, the more profound and existential risk is your competitor adopts AI and disrupts you or takes such a competitive advantage over you and then takes a lead in, in innovating using these AI tools that you never catch up. So it could be an existential threat. Your company goes out of business. Those are strategic level risks and a lot of the legal risks are, are serious risks, but they're not on the same level. And so one of the things I advise companies is the risks are real, but you need to, you know, open the aperture a bit 
and look at the risks of not doing it. And usually those are more significant. So we as compliance officers, risk managers need to get on with it, knowing that the statutory environment is fast changing. It's not clear what's going to happen. There are a lot of problems with the EU suggestion, the, the draft legislation, everything I see out of the U.S. Capitol Hill is completely unworkable. Something is going to happen and your normal instinct to wait to see what that's going to look like is just not good enough. I think this is an area where we just need to use our basic fundamental tools like conducting risk assessments to figure out what, you know, our use cases are. And, you know, I would tell any compliance officer, you already have a lot of AI use cases in-house. You know, you may not have been aware of it, but this is not an overnight sensation. There's a lot of it going on and you can't just set a policy that says, just don't do it because employees will use them. Every, every, every vendor who's providing services to your company is integrating AI into their solution. So you need to proactively understand what those are and start pushing back and, and getting transparency into what the specifics are of those services and what the protections are that they're putting in place to protect you. Contracts need to be vetted to understand what risks are being taken by the vendor and which ones you're absorbing yourself. It's a fast moving risk area that just requires a lot of time and energy to monitor. You know, there are an endless number of regulators that could be involved in AI. Conceivably, on this podcast, we tend to focus on SEC, CFTC, and DOJ, but sometimes state attorneys general. But have you seen any type of regulatory action or speech or pronouncement that you think is particularly significant to AI and particularly AI in, in the energy industry? Well, I can speak more generally of initiatives I've seen, which would apply equally to the energy industry. What I've seen personally is in terms of statutory development, there's a big overbreath problem. The provisions, whether it's the EU or the new California provision that's about to, to go live, California will beat everyone to the punch every time. There's overbreath. It's applying to a lot of software tools and software programs that we never thought of before as AI and they're bringing enforcement actions against, say, discrimination in a resume screening process. There's a screening company that had hardwired into its instructions to exclude any resumes of applicants under 50 years old, I think, for women and 55 for men. So it was a double whammy discrimination. It's like not only age discrimination, but they worked in hard coded in there. And yet the enforcement agencies are out there touting all of these initiatives as now AI oriented enforcement agencies. And so the notion of never let a crisis go to waste, I think you're seeing a lot of enforcement actions like that, that are invoking the risks of AI to pursue actions that are really not what I would consider true machine learning, where the machine is drawing insights and, and making decisions on, it, on its own or with, with only broad guidance. I think that's the near-term thing that I think everyone needs to be aware of. It, it's, it's similar to the, the subject you all were discussing at the outset. And I've seen so many clients, heard from so many clients in non-regulated 
stations saying, wait a minute, do I need to log all of the instances of our employees who use texts or things like that? There's a kind of this penumbra around the perception of this obligation in, in, in the regulated industries that is casting over other industries and creating some doubt and anxiety and maybe some, what I would say, over compliance with some of those things. I think a similar thing is happening in the AI space. Yeah, it makes sense. Sometimes we see uh, the enforcement actions themed with particular issues such as AI or cyber or communications that are otherwise in the press and in, in the public conversation. So any last words on, on AI or um, anything else to talk about today? These principles of ethical AI, you know, like accountability, reliability, security, privacy, and explainability that are being invoked like the Holy Trinity. And I think a lot of people don't really understand what those mean in context. It's my prediction is that there's going to be a moment in the not too distant future where people start to understand what those things imply or require and how they are applied to these tools that are going to result in a bit of a collision of reality versus aspiration. So a lot of these standards have been created by researchers from the outside who haven't implemented a compliance program. And one good example is this concept of explainability. It sounds great. Like, hey, we should be able to explain how this model came up with this answer. Firstly, you're really thwarting the utility of it by saying, oh, we need to be able to have some human go through and explain every single outcome as to why that happened. You're kind of defeating the, the purpose of it. But the more interesting challenge is that as they develop these neural networks, a lot of these researchers in the fields will say, like, we don't know how it made that connection because they're trying to really replicate how the human mind draws connections between different points. And it'd be, it's kind of similar to asking, how did you connect that? You know, what made you think of that based on that input? Somebody asked you about this and you thought about this other concept. How did that happen? Like, you can't explain how that works. You, you, you can't document it to some legal standard of proof. I think this standard of explainability is going to be a real challenge that companies are setting themselves up for an issue down the road and not being able to meet their own compliance policies around AI. It's hard. Everyone's pushing to require these obligations, but they're going to be difficult to meet in practice. Makes sense. We'll see what the future holds. It'll be you know, certainly an uh, exciting time for those in the compliance field as these exciting and busy and, and probably a little bit scary as these issues continue to come about in rapid fire succession. Well, Mike, thank you very much. And I hope you'll come back, give us an update in a few weeks or a few months and let us know how the fast moving events have unfolded. Yeah, everything will be different next week. Thanks to our, our guest for his insights. And thank you, Brendan, as always. And we appreciate uh, everyone being with us today. And we hope you come back and join us for the next episode of the Energy Enforcement Insider. Bye-bye. BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice and are not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship. This communication may constitute attorney advertising.